Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think my writing is probably influenced pretty heavily by music and specifically lyrics because I really, I think a well-written song is to me, I gravitate to songs that have really strong lyrics to them. And even a simple hook or a chorus to a song can make the song, right? The whole song doesn't have to be, you know, a masterpiece lyrically. everyone and welcome to a new episode of set lusting bruce your podcast all about bruce springsteen his music and mostly his fans i am your host jesse jackson what about yourself i'm a lifelong springsteen fan and by lifelong i was born the very first year his two his first two albums were released the year i was born so obviously i as long as I can remember music and I can remember liking music and having artists I follow, he was somebody I adapted to very early on. And certainly my relationship with Bruce and his music has evolved over the years and different appreciation to some of the songs. As I've gotten older, you can re-listen to them and almost hear them differently at different points in your life, I feel like. But longtime fan of, of Bruce, born and raised in Buffalo, New York. I come from the Rust Belt and the Blue Collar uh, community up there and in life my dad was a gym teacher and a coach of many sports that blue collar vibe of putting your head down working hard and and earning your way in the world that is ingrained in me and that's obviously the backbone of a lot of bruce's music and, and what he sings about so there's a great connectivity there for me with bruce which i think a lot of fans who are true fans and really connect with bruce i think they connect on that level where um, they're connecting to the lyrics and, and they're connecting to the words of the songs. Some people listen to songs for the words. Some people listen to songs for the melody. But I think true Springsteen fans enjoy uh, his poetry and his words. Yeah. Um, a, f- a few years ago, I wish I could find this. There was an April Fool's article that um, talked about Bruce Springsteen winning the Nobel Prize for Literature. And it did a summary of his career. And all the albums were books that he had written instead of albums. And that, and this was a collection of poetry. And this was his novel. And this was his, and I'm like, 
if I could travel through dimensions, I would love to travel to that dimension where Bruce became a writer and to read all those books. Uh, yeah. That would be pretty slick. The other thing I thought of when you were talking to me is I think Tunnel Love is especially an album that changes as you grow. I think you, I, I've said many times that you can't, I believe that you can't love experience and appreciate Tunnel of Love till you've either had your heart broken a few times or you've been in a long-term relationship. And then, of course, a 19-year-old kid calls me, joins me, and says it's his favorite album. And I'm like, okay, there is the exception wow. that proves all rules. That's awesome, David. I am so happy. Bills fan? Absolutely. A diehard, long-suffering Bills fan. Yeah. Uh, at the hands of, I'm guessing, your Cowboys a couple times. In the yes. Season. Part of me said that I have a wonderful friend that I do a Game of Thrones podcast with, Wendy, who is a massive Pearl Jam fan, but also she lives in the area and she's a huge Bills fan, Bills Mafia all the way. And I almost said that, one, anytime the Cowboys aren't in the playoffs, which is most times, I always pull for the Bills because of her. And the other thing I said, as much as it would break my heart, how cool if you could get a Bills-Cowboy Super Bowl again and the Bills win. Right, Super like rematch. Yeah, because yeah. a few years, the last Cowboys Super Bowl was against the Steelers. Yeah, and that felt really good. And by the way, one of my favorite stories of that is Roger was talking to Lynn Swan, Roger Staubach. He's like, mm -hmm. "Hey, we finally beat you guys," and Lynn said, "No, they beat them. Yeah. You never beat us." <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't think you can truly root against the Cowboys if they make it back to the Super Bowl, regardless of who they're playing. Probably not. Probably but not. I, but I appreciate the sentiment. Bills fans yeah. can use all, all the help they can get. Yeah. And we think we got a good quarterback in Josh Allen, but they've fallen off a little bit this year. So hopefully they can get back on track. Yeah, I think so. All right. So you talked about growing up in Buffalo. So I'm going to ask you two questions about your childhood. One, what kind of music did your family listen to when you were younger? What what were your parents listening to? And then after you answer that, were you a family of readers? I always like to ask writers, did you grow up with someone who was encouraging to read? You had that? Or were you just someone like myself? I did not realize how much my parents liked to read till I became older. Yeah, that's a good question. My, my folks... Are aren't really big music fans. Okay. Growing up, they, there wasn't really a ton of music in the house that they listened to, or they didn't have any real bands they followed. Ironically, they've become big Queen fans since the Queen movie came out. Oh, how fun. And and they like music. They just don't have a... My dad liked Bob Seger, and my mom, nothing special. Stuff from when they grew up. Yeah. Uh, Paul, Paul Anka was one of her favorite artists, and or is one of her favorite artists. But really, my biggest influence musically came from my two older brothers. Okay. So, I'm the youngest of three, two older brothers. And uh, classic rock was a lot of what we listened to and what I learned from them, like Ario Speedwagon and Loverboy and Journey and those kinds of bands, like in, in the 80s, The Police. My my one brother was a big, more heavy metal fan, like Ozzy Osbourne and, and yeah. Black Sabbath, stuff like that, a little bit harder edged. But really, and their musical tastes have 
deviated over the years or, or moved in different directions. I, ironically, being the youngest of the three of us, I'm still stuck in a classic rock 60s, 70s, 80s vibe with what I listen to. And a lot of the music I listen to is it really predates me even being on the planet. I'm, and I'm a big fan of the British invasion, right? The Stones, the Beatles, the Who, the Kinks, I think are underrated. Led Zeppelin, Super Tramp's a really good band. I, I really enjoy all that music coming over from the UK. David, one of the, there are patterns I see doing this podcast. And one of them is siblings. Often, the story is that your older siblings influenced your love of music or influenced a different way. My my older brother was really into blues, so I went the grunge area, right? I had to rebel. The other is if you're the oldest, you influencing your younger siblings. That is great to hear. And absolutely. So how about reading? Were you always a big reader and were your parents influential in that? I was not really a big reader. Okay. I think my mom always encouraged it. She used to always buy us books for gifts, hoping one day we'd read this book or that book. And some I've read, others I'm maybe going to get to someday, that kind of thing. And Sure. But not really a big reader growing up, but ironically, when I got to college, mixed in with my sports background, I played a lot of sports. My dad coached a lot of sports as a phys ed teacher. Um, I ended up getting into journalism and getting into communications. My life and career, I didn't really set out to be a writer, but my life evolved to the point where I ended up getting a communications degree. So I worked as a journalist out of college, mostly as a sports writer, um, and then a little bit as an editor for some newspapers. Then I evolved into public relations and, and marketing, and I've been working in advertising for close to 20 years now. So I've done, you name it, I've done it in the marketing kind of communications, writing space to different audiences and different types of writing. And I think my writing is probably influenced pretty heavily by music and specifically lyrics, because I really, had, I think a well-written song is to me, I gravitate to songs that have really strong lyrics to them. And even a simple hook or a chorus to a song can make the song, right? The whole song doesn't have to be, you know, a masterpiece strictly. Yeah. So. One of the other podcasts I do is a perfectly good podcast. John Hyatt from A to Z. And Sylvan Groth and I are going through every John Hyatt song in alphabetic order. He is not a well-known artist. He is more of a writer but he's someone that Sylvan and I are both passionate about. And so as you're going through these songs, we'll talk about, we'll rate them one to five, and we'll go, this is a one or a two song, but this one line is a five. Like yeah. this one line knocks it out of the park. Almost, so, like a, almost like a good line in a movie, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that can elevate that movie. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Um, so, David, you've talked about that you and Bruce Springsteen's music entered this mortal plane at the same time frame. Often people who are growing up the East Coast, you can't ask them when you first discovered Bruce because it's like asking when did you first discover your parents used Thai dishwashing soap powder. <laughs> it's, it's just always been there. But can you remember when he, he you realized he was significant and maybe your passion started? And you've already talked about lyrics, but if you'd expand on that, what about him and his music spoke to you? Yeah, I can answer both of those, actually, because okay. uh, we've given some thought to this prior to our conversation. But I think I was born in 73. So when Born in the USA came out, in 84, I was 11, 12, 11 going on 12, and everybody knew that song. The songs on that album, it was a gargantuan album for him. And that's probably the first that I really liked and enjoyed his music. I know purists of Bruce as my fandom or relationship with Bruce and his music has evolved. Maybe think that some of that stuff on Born in the USA might be a little too poppy or a little too commercial. But that was my first introduction to him and, and probably a lot of people, but when I really gravitated toward, I think, being drawn more deeply to his music and really uh, moving me and, and speaking to me was probably, you know, a few years later, say late 80s, my oldest brother had gone off to college and he had the 75-85 box set he left behind. He let up a lot of stuff behind. So I gravitated, started to listen to that box set more thoroughly. And those songs um, really spoke to me. And when I listened to those songs, this is going to sound weird to hardcore Springsteen fans, but when I first started listening to the 7585 box set, what, what drew me in was the passion and the energy to his live performances, even though they were obviously recorded live performances. just I just could feel his passion and his energy in those songs. And that's really what hooked me. It was probably like late 80s, so I was maybe a freshman in high school, get, getting a little bit older. And I just, it, it just started connecting with me. Just so many great songs on those albums. And the funny thing is, I didn't know at the time which albums those songs were on. I just liked the songs. I listened to them. And, and ironically, the ones I gravitated toward that I really like a lot are Growing Up, Spirit in the Night, Hard to Be a Saint in the City. When I started liking those songs from that box set, at that time, I did not know those were all on Greetings. 
Yeah. Those three songs are all on his very first album. He wrote. And of course, I know that now, right? All Springsteen fans know it if it was cataloged deeply. But at the time, I did. I gravitated toward really liking those songs without the context of when he recorded them, when he released them, what albums they were on. That was the beauty of, I think, that box set because it spanned to that point to his career. He's obviously had a whole nother career beyond that point of all those songs on that box set. But, you know, the song that and the version of No Surrender on that box set, I think, is tremendous. It's one of my favorite versions of No Surrender. But the song, and this is not going to be a shocker, but the song that really grabbed me and grabbed my attention, and to this day, it's my favorite Bruce song, and and a lot of people are going to say it, so it's going to sound cliche, but my favorite Bruce song and my favorite version of my favorite Bruce song is Thunder Road from that box set. He's it's a small theater. He's at, I think he's at the Roxy when he does that recording and plays that song and it opens the box set. The guy comes on and says, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. And all it is is a piano, a little bit of sax, I think a little harmonica in there. And it's such a stripped down, pure version of that song. But that kind of hooked me that that's what made me a huge fan for me to dive deeper into Bruce and his albums and his songs. Yeah, I often, I think that as Springsteen fans, especially passionate fans, it's easy to sort of push Born in the USA aside, right? It is the, I remember for a while there, we were discussing... uh, there was somebody on Twitter was having fun back when Twitter used to be fun. They were mocking some showrunner was mocking another showrunner in a fun way. Right. And what are insults that aren't insults? Right. He puts ketchup on his steak. (laughs) And I said, dancing in the dark is his favorite Bruce Springsteen song. Right. (laughs) And, and that's still very popular when he plays that at shows, but it is. I don't think to the heart, yeah. Yeah. Point point taken, the hardcore fan. Yeah. (laughs) And I also, one of the things about Dancing in the Dark is all the different covers that have been done and how many different versions and skills they could do it to show what great bones are in that song. And I I always laugh and enjoy, especially... uh, I didn't even bother that he brought in somebody to dance, but with the latest tour with COVID, he didn't, right? So Mm -hmm. it it didn't last as long. Um, But I think we Springsteen fans have to remember that Born in the USA was the gateway album for so many hardcore fans that, like yourself, right, you heard those songs everywhere, and it led you to start searching and so I think because of that, there'll always be a soft place in my heart for it. A few years ago, more than that now, they did an Americana tribute album, like Jason Isbell and Amanda Shires did Born in the USA, and Holly Williams did No Surrender. And there was this whole group of Americanas covered Born in the USA and did them a little different style. So yeah, absolutely. I always like to preface this. David, with the amount of times you've seen Bruce perform live is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are. 
that can change because if you were born at the right age in the East Coast, it's easy to have seen him hundreds of times. If you grew up in Louisiana, like I did, it was hard to see him at all. So do you count how many shows you've gone to? And if so, how many? I do count. I don't know if I have the exact number, though. It, it's over 30. It's somewhere between, okay. I would say maybe it could be as many as 35, but let's say 32, 33. It's somewhere in there. I've lost okay. count over the years, but I've had the uh, fortune to see him quite a few times. And some of that is related to geography. Because I lived in the I lived in New Jersey briefly for a stretch, and I lived in Allentown, Bethlehem area, which is just over the border from New Jersey, a little north of Philadelphia. Right in that corridor, you can get to New Jersey, you can get to Philly, you can get down to Baltimore, and you get to New York City, and you, obviously the Meadowlands. And so there was greater access to see him at more shows. So I'm thankful to have seen him as many times as I have, though I've seen him in like six or seven states. I've seen him in a lot of places, but because I lived in that region... I got to see him more often, but your point is well taken because from the time I really embraced his music till I finally got to see him perform, my first show <clears throat> was in Tampa in 2000, March of 2000. And I was becoming a big fan in the late 80s. So I waited about 12 years before I could actually get to see him. Of course, he was on hiatus there for a while too. That was the reunion tour, the first yeah. kind of reunion tour. And that was my first exposure, which was a great tour to see because a lot of that was just him playing all his hits and stuff. He wasn't really promoting a new, he wasn't promoting a new album yeah. at that point. And that was the pure, kind of a pure form of seeing him being in introduced to him. But yeah, I saw him in Tampa at the Ice Palace and it was an awesome show. Yeah. Cut out. I say there's two kinds of people, David, the people that see Bruce the first time and go, wow, that was a long show. And the others that go, oh my God, that was amazing. When can I go back? Yeah. 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 That's awesome. How many shows have you seen then? So 19. Nice. Now nice. I was, I had tickets for Tulsa. I I saw Dallas, Houston, Austin. And like a week later, he was going to be in Tulsa. And I had tickets. Linda and Chris and I were all going up together. We had rented an Airbnb. We were going to make a mini vacation of it because last summer, Summer before last, there was the Springsteen Live exhibit at the Woody Guthrie Museum there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which yeah. is right next to the Bob Bob Dylan Museum. And we went and enjoyed both of them. In fact, we said we didn't spend enough time at the Woody Guthrie one because we, we did the Dylan one. And so we were like, okay, we'll go see Bruce again. We'll go back. And after... Going to Austin, which was on a Thursday, I woke up, I got home Friday afternoon and go, I don't feel well. And I woke up Saturday morning, I don't feel well at all. So, wow. so I missed out on Tulsa. So I was 19 and holding. <laughs> then I had tickets for Columbus and Phoenix. And then both of them got postponed. So I'm at 19 and holding. That's I'm like, nice. my next show will get me into 20. Yeah. I have two footnotes to that. Yeah, please. Might make you feel better. I have one of my very best friends, and I didn't wasn't friends with him at this time, but he was not really a Springsteen fan. And one of our mutual friends drug him along to a show, and he was instantly transformed into a good diehard Springsteen fan from just one one concert. So it can be if you're a big music fan, right? Right. I think 
he he's i've seen a lot of bands it's not just bruce i'm a big music fan i've seen a lot of concerts in my day yeah um he's just a very the energy and he's just a dynamic performer him and his band yeah you know? they're they're it's just no, no frills it's no frills there's not a lot yeah. of smoke and mirrors and fancy stuff going on i saw the stones years ago at the vet which was supposed to be their farewell tour back then and oh two and they had these uh, it was like 12, I was like 20 rows off the stage on the field and they had these jet engines like blowing up out of the stage. You could feel the heat from them and they had a whole lot of stuff going on with the show. Bruce just comes out and plays rock and roll. I think the simplicity and purity that adds to the intensity, the performance and the music, keeping it intentionally simple. Yeah. One of the things I thought was interesting is last year they released the no nukes tour right they added the two shows together and made it one concert film and i was struck how sparse they looked on stage right god there's not that many of them because there is no neils there is no Susie. there it just uh it just was odd to see you know that just that small band yeah, and I I went and saw, like, I've seen other artists where they have video screens in the back, like, they are playing, there is a video accompaniment to every song, yeah. there, even James Taylor, for that matter, had some special effects and lighting of videos. Another person I'm really enjoying, my latest music crush is Jizz and Isbel. I'm late to the bandwagon for him. I had never listened to the Drive-By Truckers. And just happened to see him the first time this year and have just been a deep dive into his music. And I don't know if you're familiar with Jason, but yeah, if you like lyrics, you'll love well, Jason. I'm, I'm later than you. Yeah. I'd love for you to check it out. And if you like it as much as I think, we could have you back and we'll, could, uh, we could talk about what you're thinking. Um, What's the band? Jason Isbell, I-S-B-E-L-L. It's more Americana. Okay. Uh, Brian Kopelman, the guy who wrote Billions, and he says he thinks he is the best songwriter under 50 living today. Wow. I'll check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Let me know. I'd love to hear what you think. So one more thing, Jesse. Yeah, uh, please. Um, I got to add another footnote to No, this is what the conversation is supposed to be. To you missing a concert. Because of a commitment with your son, yeah, not being able to go to what would have been your first concert, right? Now, I saw him. At, my first show was in Tampa in 2000. At the time, one of my coworkers, yeah, a bunch of my coworkers were going to the show. They had gotten tickets. Yeah, I couldn't get a ticket. You can imagine it was a hard ticket to get. Sure. And one of my coworkers could not go because his son was being born. So I got to go in his place nice. with, his, with his twin brother and two other really good guys that I worked with at the time. A bunch of us worked together at a newspaper. And I told my bosses, I'm like, I think that was supposed to be on the schedule to work. And I said, and I, I'm a highly reliable person. It's just in my DNA. I, That's your dad, I, the blue collar, right? You just Calling in sick when you're a teacher that. is not an right. option. My dad calls himself the Cal Ripken of teaching because he never yeah. missed it. Right. <laughs> so anyway, so I told him, I said, you can put me on the schedule, but I'm not going to be here because I was there was right. nothing preventing me from going to the show. 
to see Bruce. So it was it was actually happenstance and just pure luck that I got to go because my other buddy co-worker was having a baby that same night or, or week or with but was like right in the same time frame so i was able yeah. to go in his place yeah so hopefully somebody else got to go in your place yes exactly so <laughs> one of my favorite stories and i wish i could remember who told me this because i talk about it often there was a guest on that had been a huge fan he still is and i love this story david he says he was sitting, he was standing in the pit during the middle of the reunion tour. Yeah. And he had this feeling of, and this, he's talking to himself, this is it. They have not played for a decade. I am here. I'm seeing the band again. This is the apex of my Springsteen fandom. I may never see them live again. Who knows? Maybe every two or three years, they'll go out a reunion tour like the Eagles do or something. But this is it. He says, I want to go back to that guy and say, you have no idea what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> you have the rising. You have magic. You have yeah. letter to you. You have Bruce performing on Broadway. Yeah. You have worldwide tours. You have them doing the River Incomplete. You have, this is the halftime show. This isn't the final two minutes. This is just <laughs> halftime in their career. Yeah. And, and what's funny is you started your career then. Your Bruce Springsteen fandom right well, there. The concert goer to see him, yeah. And yeah, I, that's been, awesome. Yeah, I've been lucky enough to see him as many yeah. times as, as I've had. Yeah, so other stories from live shows you want to share with me. Do you have some other fun ones that you might want to share? Experiences, moments where you saw something special on stage or met, had a fun experience with people in the crowd or other things? Yeah. I've sat in the last row at Giant Stadium for a show, and I've been uh, five feet away from him when he's been on stage at the Stone Pony. Okay. And it's just getting in the door to see him is always a treat. And every experience is different, A, because of who you go with. If you go with other diehard Springsteen fans, I think there's just a different energy to that. But sure. I've drugged a lot I've drugged a lot of family and friends to shows over the years that haven't necessarily been huge fans and I just insisted they go. And they've always yeah. had a had a blast. But it, it varies depending who you're with and what you're but every show is also unique and different in its own right. My favorite show though of all time. Um, was March 11th, 2003, Rochester, New York. Okay. It was, uh, it's an old hockey arena, Blue Cross, Blue Cross Arena. It's an old hockey arena. It's a smaller little hockey arena where the AHL Rochester Americans play, which is their affiliate to the Sabres. And I had floor seats, not in the pit, but just, we were like one row back from the blockade, okay. about center stage blockade from the pit. So I was about 20 yards from center stage. I don't want this to sound bad, but Patty wasn't there that night. She got sick or okay. he said she was sick and stayed home. And you know what? It was just the best show I ever saw. The Bruce's interaction with Clarence and with little Steven was so much different. And I don't mean that as a knock on her growing yeah. up. I always, growing up, I always felt like I missed out on seeing Bruce way back in the early days with the right. different chemistry to the band and some of those smaller venues and stuff that he used to play 
And that's I, what that and that's what that show felt like. To me, I feel like Springsteen fans like ourselves that didn't see shows till let's just say the second half. You it's like missing an extra point. You're always chasing that point. I feel like at least from my perspective, I'm always chasing like I can never catch up, but I keep trying to catch up, right? That what is the next? I, I need to get more. I need to get more of this feeling. Yeah, got to get that feeling. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. Were you able to make Broadway? I was not able to see him on Broadway. I tried a bunch and I kept losing out on the lotteries and it just, it didn't come together for me there. But okay. uh, the other thing about that show though was he played a couple of really rare songs that he rarely plays. One was Blinded by the Light. Oh, yeah. And he did a great version of that. He also played Fire toward the end of the show. Oh. It's not songs that you're going to see him play very often. And yeah, it was a really good set list. I think they played Backstreets that night and it just it had a different energy to it and it was That's a smaller, nice. it was a smaller arena and I was down on the floor closer to the stage and it felt like I was at one of those small clubs back in the day so I think that's part of what it was and not a knock on Patty but without her being there she wouldn't have been there really early on so it just it had that vibe to it it had the vibe of what I listened to on the box set, the show, the, the recordings from the Roxy, where you're hearing him in that small little venue, um, you know, with a really polite clap when he yeah. gets injured Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band and they start Thunder Road and you get that real, almost like a golf clap, right? Yes. Not, not like a big stadium erupting. So that was a tremendous show for a lot of reasons there. I saw him at the Stone Pony, which, of course, is he made that place famous. And that was for a Light of Day concert. I don't know how many people out there are familiar with that, but sure. I, don't know, I don't know if they're still doing it. But they used to do this Light of, the Light of Day benefit concert right around this time. It was in November every year, yeah. I think, for, to raise money for Parkinson's and stuff. Yes, they still and, do. Uh, and, yeah, that's some of the best. Yeah, people talk about that. That's always some of the best shows because it's the smaller venue there's a lot of fun. It's a looser show. So yeah, absolutely. It was an all-day thing, and we got there early, and we positioned ourselves close to the stage, listened to a bunch of bands, and didn't know if Bruce was going to show up. You never know if he's going to grace, grace you with his presence. And Joe Grishecki and the House Rockers, they he's a big friend of Bruce, and he was coming out and playing the last set. And sure enough, Bruce showed up and played with him. So we were wedged between like the bar and the stage. Okay. And there were bit and it's not a high ceiling and there were huge amps hanging off the ceiling. And I was standing right in front of one of the amps and I was probably 10 feet from Bruce through the whole show and it's nice. you know, the stage, stage isn't real high either and it was just packed. You could barely move. It was just a whole lot of fun. My ears rang for at least 2 days afterwards. Like I... a heavy, heavy ringing. Like I probably have still have damage from from that. <laughs> <show>. <laughs> All right, so I want to switch just for a moment. I did mention you're a writer, so you talked about you've done a lot of editing, you've done reporting. So talk about your book. What led you to tell us first what it is, where we can find it, but talk about what inspired you to write this. Yeah, good question. So the book is called It's Okay to Not Eat Your Peas. I love that title so much. 
and it's both literal and metaphorical. Okay. And uh, during the pandemic, I think everybody did different things to kill time and you can only yeah. do some work when we're all locked up inside and waiting things out. But I've always had these stories bouncing around in my head and I don't have kids of my own. And I grew up, I should say my nieces and nephews grew up in different states than I did. So I saw them on occasion when I was visiting my brothers and stuff when we got together, but I wasn't really regularly in their lives. It's hard for Uncle Dave to roll into town and, and depart real wisdom on them when I don't have a strong relationship with them. Not that I have a bad relationship. I just didn't have that everyday familiar right. with them. So I sat down to write these stories as if I was going to share them with my own kids or certainly with my nieces and nephews. So what's in the book is a lot of stories about my life and my experiences, um, things I've learned from other people. So some are cautionary tales, some are just advice. And I wanted to really wrote that for my nieces and nephews. I wrote that as advice from Uncle Dave to them and things that hopefully that they could learn from and, and gain from that. And that was the pure starting point for the book. And I just started writing down some stories and I thought, oh, that's pretty good. And I wrote another one and another one. And I wasn't really sure I was going to have a book, but I just, I was writing because I needed, everyone needed to do something. And I got enough content together where I felt, I felt you know what, this is really good. And the self-publishing thing has been growing and evolving where people don't have to go through those traditional channels to find an agent and find a, a publisher and, and do all that. And I've spent my life in communications and, and marketing and publishing and advertising and writing and editing. So um, I, I built a book for myself and, and published it on Amazon. You can find it on Amazon. And, and thankfully, you know what? It's been very well received. It's gotten really good ratings and I've had nothing but great reviews from people. And and I the goal was if I could impact one or two people with the stories, if I could make one or two people life a little bit better. Sometimes sharing your own stories and things that have happened to you can be therapeutic for somebody just because it's comforting to know that, that maybe somebody else has gone through what you're going through. Okay. So for yeah. People who, yeah. So for people who, um, Jesse, I'm guessing we're in a similar age bracket ish. So you would relate to these stories on a level where you can relate to that commonality of me writing a book in my late mid to late forties and looking back on life a little bit. But if you're younger too, you can read it. And if you if you have had those shared experiences, I think the book is is really good. But if you haven't had them, it's something for you to tuck away in your back pocket and then hopefully draw on if and when you get to that fork in the road in your life with some of those things that might happen to you. So that was the goal behind writing it. And I was always hoping it would find a larger audience. And it has, and it's been well-received. And I'm real excited uh, to have put it out there. And if to have found a vehicle to, you know, build these stories and put them together and share them. And I'm working on another book untitled, but certainly plan to do more writing. And, and then that's evolved into Jay finding me. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about that. I built a website with my communications degree and skills and experience to support the book. And I built it to offer up marketing services, publishing services, not just to tell a little bit more about me in support of the book. And Jay found me on the internet. The internet yeah. can, be, can be a real wonderful thing. Yeah. And he found, found me and we started some dialogue. And next thing we published his book on November 1st this year, and it is called Ordinary Hero. Hold it up there for people at home. 
Yes. People are watching. Uh, and it's a tremendous book. Jay is a tremendous guy for people that don't know Jay's story. When he was, he's in his early 40s. So about 10 years ago, when he was in his early 30s, he was diagnosed with cerebellar atrophy, which is a, a degenerative condition where the cerebellum portion of his brain is, is dying. It affects mostly motor skills. And it's in the Parkinson's realm, but not quite. I don't think the same. It's similar. Yeah. Um, Jay, Jay might uh, dock me for that if I'm mis explaining that. But so in Jay's first book, which I read, and his second book, which I edited for him and, and paginated and, and designed and published and did the cover. And we had a lot of conversations about that. And we just launched it for him. His style is very similar, where he's writing about his life and telling stories about his struggles with his diagnosis and his condition. And he's got a really, well, A, he's a very talented writer. Yes. Uh, the, the book, both books are very fun and entertaining. It's a dark, and not a dark, it's a difficult topic, some of what he's going through. But he's been strong enough to decide he wants to share that with the world and be a positive influence on other people that might have his similar ailment, right? And tell them that things are going to be okay. But you don't have to, you don't have to have the condition he has to appreciate his stories and, and understand what he's going through and how hard he's working to, to make the best life for himself in spite of all that. And it's very, he's a very inspirational guy. I tell him that every time we talk that he inspires me just in how he's living his life. He's a real great guy. Jay is the originator of The Mary Question. He has been on the podcast multiple times. And because of his disease, it is tougher for him to speak and do an interview. And I reached out to him and I said, I know you're not comfortable. I said, if you want to record, I could ask you questions, you record your answer. And he said, no, what I'd really love is, do you mind talking to David? Because David is a huge Springsteen fan, and he really helped me with the book. And so I'm glad we were able to connect. I loved his first book. I was one of his pre-readers talking about it. I loved the second book. In my review, what I said is, Jay is at heart a teacher. He loved teaching. He loved helping people write. He loved his students on Fidon, right? The the service he was working with and doing. And I think he's continuing to teach us through his stories. So yeah, I am so glad you were able to help him. I recommend him strongly. I tell you what, what I'm going to do, I just, I just picked up your book as we were talking. So I'm going to read it and I'm going to have you back to discuss more of that and maybe talk a little Jason Isbell and get to all the questions we didn't get to because I'm running out of time, unfortunately, David. Gosh, this was fun. I'm, I'm too long-winded. No, I just, I think we just scratched the surface. We did. Was, I, yeah, I could talk forever about Bruce. Yeah, and we will do this again. We will absolutely do this again. So, David, speaking of Jay, when he was teaching, he would give his class the lyrics to Thunder Road, and they would study him. He would, they would treat it as if it was a poem. They would talk about Robert Frost, other American poets. And then after two full days of breaking apart every lyric, he would ask his class, does Mary get in the car? So David, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? The short answer is no, I don't think she does. Okay. And 
the lyrics end with it's a town full of losers and I'm pulling out of here to win. So it's a singular yes. reference. And but I it doesn't mean she doesn't get in the car. My interpretation is she does not. And here's why, because I've heard many conversations, interviews with Bruce over the years where he's talked about the album cover. And I think that was one of the earlier album covers that actually folded open. There weren't a lot of right. them back in the day. Yes. I'm not saying his was the first, but one of them that opened up. And he said in the past that book the book the album cover that opens like that it was his invitation to the world to come along for the ride and he has a lot of metaphors about cars and and transportation throughout all his music but i think he's inviting all of us along for the ride and i think he's telling all of us hey it's your choice what do you want to do you're in a bad situation here this is a dead-end town i'm getting out of here to build a better life for myself are you coming with me it's not He's using Mary as a vehicle in the story, but I think the song, and maybe that's why it has affected me so much and been, and, and why I admire the song so much is because I think he's inviting all of us along and challenging all of us to get out there in the world and go find a better life for yourself. That is an absolutely amazing answer. I love that answer. All right. If someone wants to reach you, how can they? Oh, you can visit my website, which is bigcatcreative.com. It's a, a K for cat and K for creative. And that's a whole nother story. That's a nickname I got back in college, big cat. Okay. Uh, big, I'm a big guy. I, I used to, I'm still pretty fast for my size, but I'm not as fast as I used to be, but I'm faster than I look for my size. So my, my friends back in college used to start, they used to call me big cat. So it stuck with me and I created a, a company, which became my publishing source for my book, but bigcatcreative.com. You can reach me there. Um, or Dave at BigCatCreative.com if you want to send me an email direct. That's great, too. Yeah. It's okay to not eat your peas. How little moments in life leave lasting impressions available on Amazon, both in Kindle and paperback form. Check it out. David, let's do this again. I had so much fun. I feel like we just scratched the surface. Sounds good, Jesse. I'd love to. Yep. Yeah. All right, listeners, go check out the website. Check out the book. Tell them you heard about it here on Set Lusting Bruce. For now, I want everyone to be safe, be kind, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one the only said listening Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Points.